Thank you, Aaron, for leading us this morning. And if the congregation breaks out in a singing of the ABCs, it would be just okay, because I know that is a fun song for us all. As he was talking, I was thinking of some of the other songs that I learned growing up. Uh, one of them was Conjunction Junction, What's That Function? And, um, and the other one, what was the, um, the other one that came to my mind a second ago is uh, I'm just a bill, I'm only a bill, sitting on Capitol Hill. And uh, those songs help us to learn uh, all about our political system and about how conjunctions join together phrases and clauses. So let's turn now to some phrases and clauses in God's Word. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Focused verse will be verse 16. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, or spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through Him. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to You, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. A well-known pastor and evangelist tells the story of how he was invited to be the guest preacher for a series of messages at a church. And the church was small and didn't have much extra money, so they couldn't afford his hotel bill. So they said that he would stay at a host home there with a family from the church. And he said, I arrived at the family's home. The host met me at the front door showed me in, showed me my bedroom, pointed out the bathroom and the kitchen, and then never spoke to me the rest of the time I was there. They ignored me the rest of the week. The family, he said, walked around the house like I didn't exist. And when it came time for meals, they informed me that it wasn't their responsibility to feed me you're on your own. True story. That would never happen at Huguenot Road. Thank you. Can you imagine how uncomfortable it must have been for him to be in someone else's home and treated not as a guest, 
but as a visitor. Guests stay. Visitors, they leave. Have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever been staying with someone, whether it's friends or family, and you feel like from the time that you entered their home that they were ready for you to go? Have you ever, uh, students, have you ever sat down at the lunch table and been treated as you were invisible, that the other kids at the table didn't even acknowledge that you were there? If this happened to you here, don't raise your hand. Have you ever attended a church where no one spoke to you or made you feel welcomed? Perhaps you have. No church is perfect. Sometimes we think the person's already a member and we just are shy and we don't say hello. and Those kinds of things happen. But often people will tell me when they come to Huguenot Road how welcome they feel and how they felt unwelcomed at another church they visited. Or maybe you have moved into a neighborhood and nobody on your cul-de-sac speaks to you. For whatever reason, people are kind of amongst themselves and they make you feel like an outsider. If you have experienced these feelings, and many of us have, then I believe that you'll have a greater appreciation for the way in which the Apostle Paul teaches what it means to live the Christian life. I believe that he tells us or teaches us that living the Christian life is both a matter of the heart and a matter of the home. A matter of the heart and a matter of the home. In today's passage, uh, today's passage we're studying another one of the one another statements that we find in the New Testament. Some are from Christ, some are from the Apostle Paul's writings. In the past few weeks we have focused on phrases like, we belong to one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens. And our focus this morning is on that phrase in verse 16, teach one another. Actually, he says teach and admonish one another. The sermon title simply teach one another. And Paul wastes no time connecting teaching with worship and singing our praises to God. I believe that teaching and worship are inextricably linked. Our key thought is this. Worship of God is a vital part of our being and existence. It is both, deep, both deeply personal and inherently corporate. In her article entitled, Why We Sing, Carolyn Winfrey Gillette writes this, We sing because music brings us together as a congregation. It brings together generations. We sing because our singing is a means by which God strengthens us and helps us to grow as people of God. In our individual lives, we may sing, we may say and sing, I. But the songs of the church invite us to say and sing, we. We are individuals and we come as I. But when we worship and sing and praise God, we are always a we. 
She says, the songs of the church call us to celebrate the faith we share, and we are reminded of our place in the community of the disciples. Worship, especially the songs and hymns we sing, make us feel welcome and wanted and included in the family of God. Worship, I believe, says welcome home. And I'm glad that this is home, Huguenot Road Baptist Church. And if you're seeking a church home, I pray that God would lead you here to make this your home. Here at Huguenot Road, we believe that worship is central to our existence. It's one of our core values. It's the very first phrase in our purpose statement, worshiping, loving, growing, serving in the name of Jesus. Worshiping. It's the inherent in our discipleship process. Connect, grow, transform. We connect through God to God through worship. We connect with one another as we worship. Connect, grow, transform. It is central to our existence. The sermon texts that we preach from guide the theme of our worship, which is a way of teaching us. The Christian calendar focuses on the central doctrines of our faith. The birth, incarnation, life, teachings, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. The gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And the sending of the church in the world, the missio dei, the mission of God is the church. And worship helps us continually to re-examine and reaffirm the roots of the Christian faith. And I am convinced that when we worship together, that we teach one another, that we are on this continuum of being lifelong learners. The songs we sing don't have to be complex in order for them to express what we believe. You've already heard Aaron teaching or reminding this children of Jesus loves me they know it it's one of the simplest songs we taught it to our daughter as she was a baby you teach it to your children and grandchildren the message is profound theologian Karl Barth was once asked to summarize all his wealth and knowledge about the faith in one sentence and he is said to have replied this way Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so. So we worship and we teach. Worship is a learning. Worship learning. And worship learning happens here in several ways. I want to point out a few verses as we journey toward the Lord's Supper. The first way worship is a learning is that it is a way of life for us. Verses 1 and 2 and then 17 of chapter 3 remind us of this. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So we've got our focus on who we worship, and then worship guides everything we do. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I think we're asking the wrong question if we ask, did you get anything out of worship today? Perhaps we do not get something from worship, but uh, rather we give something to worship. We come to God to glorify God, not ourselves. We gather to give God something 
our praise and adoration as we sing songs or psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And we come before God in worship because of what God has already done for us. It's not about the style of worship or where we worship or what day we worship or what time it is that we worship or not how we feel when we come to worship, but rather that we come and give our praises to God. We worship because of the one who is worthy of our worship, even when we don't feel like it. And a lot of you come to church when you don't feel good. You don't feel like worshiping. You might not even be able to stand up and sit down during the course of service, but you are here, and I believe you and I, when we don't feel like worship, that we are better because we have worshiped. The story is told that when the Titanic was sinking, a wealthy woman chose not to take her diamonds onto the lifeboat with her, but rather she took a bag of oranges. Isn't it interesting that when we are faced with a crisis, we begin to get our priorities in order? Bill Tuck, pastor and writer, he lives right here in Midlothian, states that worship directs us to examine our spiritual luggage. Worship calls us together so that we can get our values and our priorities in the best order. And then we go into the world and live the kind of life that reflects that we have been in the presence of God. Another way worship is a learning is that Jesus is the foundation of our worship. And we see that here in the first part of verse 16, that Jesus is the foundation. He's the rock. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So as we teach and admonish, Jesus Christ is our foundation. We'll see that play out in just a second. See, earlier we talked about being a house guest and sometimes how we don't feel welcome in somebody's home. The first part of verse 16, Paul writes that the logos, or the word, or the message of Christ must dwell among you richly or in great abundance. And the Greek word translated dwell comes from the, uh, the root Enoikeo, which literally means to dwell in a house or take up residence in a house. It has the same meaning as someone who moves permanently into their home. The person is so at home and so contented in this new location that she or he has chosen to make it their permanent dwelling place for their life. The Word of God dwell among you richly. The Word of God take up residence in your hearts. And I will always remember my friend Reverend Keith Robinson, a retired pastor who was a member of the former congregation I served in Mechanicsville. Reverend Robinson, after he retired, was very involved in our church and would often preach and fill in, and he taught Sunday school to our senior adults. And one day, as he and his wife were traveling, and their daughter, adult daughter, were traveling through upstate South Carolina, Someone ran them off the road, and his car flipped over. Keith sustained a severe cervical injury and was paralyzed from the chest down. He later gained uh, use of most of his upper body, but he was bound to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. He would still preach. 
He still taught Sunday school faithfully. He still led in worship. He was one of the prayer team members of our congregation and always asked me how he could be praying for me. And frequently, most often when he would pray in the congregation, he would ask that the Word of God or the Spirit of God would take up lodging in our hearts. And I don't know that I fully understood what he meant until I started studying this particular word for this Sunday, that it means that God would take up permanent residence in our hearts and that His Word would be preeminent, would take up lodging as well. So when Paul says to let the Word of God dwell in us, he's encouraging us to give God's Word a welcoming reception, so much so that the Word of Christ has a permanent dwelling place in our being. The message version says it like this, let the Word of Christ have run of the house. I like that. The Amplified, let the spoken Word of Christ have, you remember the people in the New Testament didn't have a written Bible. They had the Old Testament uh, Scriptures, but they only had the the words of Jesus that had been passed down to them by other people. And so the Amplified, let the spoken Word of Christ have its home within you, dwelling in your heart and in your mind, permeating every aspect of your being. The New American Standard, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Paul is saying that God's Word needs to be a foundation. That the Word of Christ needs to be the foundation of our faith. And that we are to teach one another the the ways of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the care of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the understanding of Jesus, the acceptance of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. And then he says we are to admonish one another. And the Greek word translated admonish comes from a word that means to kneel down or to lay down. Here it's to lay down in one's mind a foundation on the Word of Christ. This is illustrated in Luke 7. You know it from Jesus. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the... Say it again. On the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose up, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great splash. The Bible song says it went what? Splat. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And then uh, the last two ways that worship is a learning is that worship is something we do for God. It's obedience. It's following through with what God asks us to do. And the old story Naaman was encouraged to go see the prophet of the king. And the king got the information and was wondering why Naaman would reach out to him. 
But Elisha the prophet knew that Naaman needed to see him and that he would know that there was a prophet of God in that place. And Naaman went to Elisha the prophet. God would work through Elisha to bring about healing that Naaman needed. But Naaman had to follow through with some obedience. He had to do his part. And Elisha said to go wash in the Jordan for seven times and he would be healed. And Naaman didn't want to do that. Like, I'm not going to do that. Why can't I go to one of the other rivers up near Damascus? They're much cleaner. The Jordan is so muddy. I'm not going in that water. It looks like sewage. You expect me to do that? Seven times? Do you want to be healed or not? Finally, Naaman consented, or relented, I guess you would say, and washed in the river Jordan seven times and went away healed. Worship is something we do for God. As Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. We surrender to God in our worship. And worship is a time, the last thing, worship is a worship learning because it is a remembering. When we sing the Psalms, we are remembering. There are Psalms that remember the exodus of Israel. There are psalms that remember the creation. There are psalms that tell all the Old Testament stories of how God provided for His people. We remember when we sing the psalms. When we sing hymns, we sing praises to God. And when we sing songs, sometimes the Spirit leads us to write music or write songs and those are passed down and tradition of the church and we sing so many songs today because of the way that God was active in somebody's worship years ago. Worship is a time of remembering. Verse 16b, with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing God to God with gratitude in our hearts. Gratitude in our hearts. The word gratitude is from the word where we get grace we also find this same word used in verse 15 a root of it eucharisto be thankful paul writes in verse 15 and then worship and sing with gratitude in your hearts in verse 16 these words have their root in grace cauteris and in the words of institution of the Lord's Supper that Jesus handed down to Paul, we find that same word, Eucharisto, where Jesus took the bread and He gave thanks to God for it as He gathered with His disciples. Eucharisto, by the grace of God, we gather today to break this bread. And He blessed that bread, giving thanks, and said, this is my body which is given for you, for uh, as often as you meet together, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus, in the same way, in the spirit of Eucharisto, thanksgiving, took the cup and blessed it and poured it out, saying, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for you for the remission of your sins and uh, yours and mine. And Jesus told us that as often as we gathered together that we would take this cup and do that in remembrance of Him. And as often as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, 
we proclaim the coming of the Son of Man.